All right, welcome in New Year's edition horse racing happy hour. My name is Louis Rabot. I'm joined today by Ron Flatter at Ron Flatter on Twitter. He's like me. He just grabbed his name and put it on Twitter. <laughs> uh, we are very original dudes uh, yeah. in that way. We have that very much in common. He's with Horse Racing Nation. Uh, now, a resident of the great state of Kentucky and Louisville. Uh, previously, um, he lived in 73 different American cities, but has settled most recently <laughs> in Louisville. Ron, how are you? How are the holidays? Yeah, there's uh, 73 American cities and two in Australia. Uh, so, yeah. We That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holidays have been good. Uh, Mrs. Flatter and I were out on the uh, terrace uh, at our place in, in fashionable St. Matthews and uh, for New Year's Eve. And we, you know, we watched the thunderstorm come through at 1145. Oh, and yeah. then it just was kind of misty and drizzly at, from midnight. And then it was kind of really nice. It was Temperature was in the 60s. We, I think we counted three bottles and change of wine that were uh, empties in the trash when we finally arose sometime around two or three in the afternoon uh, on the first. Uh, so, yeah, the, we, we took the amateur hour and kept it inside and didn't go out on the streets of Louisville. Uh, but we were feeling the pain. And, and man, uh, after uh, anyone who is checking the weather in Kentuckyana, the last few days we were uh, having this discussion, uh, it's a winter wonderland here now. And I'm now sitting a little corgi, and the corgi's discovering the fun of snow, and I'm rediscovering it. And that's a long, long hello, Louie. <laughs> no, it's all right. I was, uh, you know, it's funny they've got a carryover of 30K at, at, at Turfway tonight. And, and, you know, so I threw my ticket in, and um, someone on Twitter mentioned, like, oh, you know, I, they're running tonight. I, did they ask the jockeys? And I said, Man, it's 2022. Did you see the purses? The jockeys ain't turning down a couple sixty-two thousand no. dollar maiden special weights anymore. Like this isn't five and ten thousand dollar races anymore. No, and in fact, this week we were focused a lot on Sam Houston, and yeah. they've had purse increases because of that interesting way that. And we did a story on it last winter. Uh, the way that Texas now funds horse racing in addition to right. wagering. And that's with the sales tax rebate that they get from the sale of feed and attack and, and everything else that's uh, for horses. And right. they get a percentage of the sales tax coming back. And the, what was in it for the state was, well, gee, if we sell more horse stuff in the state, that means we're going to get more sales tax money. And it's going to generate money then for horse racing. And it's going to be, hopefully whatever the opposite of a vicious cycle is a beneficial cycle <laughs> and it's really worked and they've had increases in purses and that, and that, uh, I guess they call it the escrow account or something like that, but it's really been a great idea. Yeah. Uh, Steve Asmus had actually called me to put me onto this and we wound up doing a big story on it. And I'm thinking every state in the union that has, I mean, if there's a horse population in a state, that's especially that racing, ought to do this. And especially if you're trying to grow. Right. And so, um, you know, that's, they have an interesting circuit down there. We have, um, and, and I know this has happened for you as well on your podcast, a growing number of people listening in Texas, which is really fun. Yes. And, and especially during the pandemic, our numbers, I mean, we literally went from 1% of our listeners being in Texas to 5% of us, literally one in 20 people that listen to the Potter in Texas now. And I, I can't believe those poor folks can't bet on their phones. I mean, like, it's unbelievable to me that oh, they have to drive to the track and, and, and they do it. I mean, I guess if it's part of the culture and you're just used to it, you know, I, I hear the stories from the, the older guys here 
about the drive-through and you know you'd have to pay a quarter to place your bets or whatever in Louisville. Oh my. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But oh, you know, it was just kind of, you know, you got out of your shift, you went by the drive-through and I'll take five on the six in race four and I'll take five on the seven in race eight and this, this, and this, and uh, that'll be a quarter, sir. And you put down your 10 bucks and you drive away. But it, Hey, if that's the culture, it's the culture. It's the culture. And I mean that, and, and look, uh, all right, respect to the, the Bible belt and the blue laws and that sort of thing. That's okay. That's fine. Different strokes. But the thing I can't get over is for those who don't choose to practice that, why should they be forced to? And sure. if they're getting geo blocked with their ADWs, they may have established somewhere else. Well, more is the pity, but eventually, eventually we've got 30 States now with sports betting. And so yeah. the, eventually there will be 50 and places like Utah and Texas and Idaho will be among the last, but they'll eventually fall. And the other thing that's interesting, too, as we're speaking about the growth of sports gambling or the uh, the smothering of it, how about New York? New York yeah. finally getting sports gambling on their phones, you can on your app, on your on your tablet. And so I guess that makes now 12 states where that's available. And, gee, wouldn't it be nice, Louie, if we didn't have to go <laughs> swim over the Ohio River? To be able to do that here in Kentucky, you know, the home, know. one of the first places you could legally gamble in this country on horse races. Right. Yet, yet still, yet still. But it will it, happen. It'll I happen mean, the home, it is, it is ridiculous that the, the, where Matt Wynn made his name still doesn't have sports gambling. Right. I mean that, you know, it, I think it was the hundred and, oh gosh, 105th anniversary of Matt Wynn setting the minimum bet at $2 a couple, couple months ago. And <laughs> and we still can't get sports betting in the we state. Still we're still making it. we're still making two dollar win bets, but we can't get sports betting in yeah. the state. It's pretty incredible. I um, know. I mean, it's like you're sitting there going, "Okay, uh, what's that uh, service that rhymes with uh, Nevada?" Um, it's offshore. <laughs> yeah, you know. I yeah, mean, exactly. It's what it, I mean. How many dollars are being lost by the Commonwealth of Kentucky to people who are betting going across the river to Indiana? Oh, yeah. Oh, or yeah. just betting technically illegally and right. Uh, right. you know but that's the that's the story in every state that's finally figured it out and we're up to 30 states now. so plus 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 the district of columbia so Ooh, uh, yeah so 30 plus one and <laughs> yep 30 down 20 to go and uh, we'll see how it goes but yeah I, I i who was i talking to was it um it was either shannon arvin from uh keeneland Yep. And or Tom Rooney from the NTRA. I, I think it was Shannon at the racing symposium in Tucson last month. And I raised the question about sports gambling, being able to come in with racing. And then, of course, the old question about whether sports gambling will cannibalize racing dollars. Is it a zero sum game? And she said she doesn't think so. And, and she thinks that it is eventual. It's not a question of if, but when it will happen. And so. You just hope that somebody will feel like they should be in a hurry to collect this money, especially at a time when dollars for governments are very tough in the COVID era. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I, you get a sense that, you know, the, the good thing about horse racing is, you know, instead of a four hour football game, the race is over in two minutes or less. And you don't get, two, you know, one to one or two to one on your money. You get you can get literally 10, 100, you know, whatever yeah. to one on your money. Right. And, and it's it's different that way. And what you're starting to see is that bookmakers understand with the phones and with the ability to just, you know, with the digital 
gambling that people can do the in-game stuff so much more easily, right? And that reminds me more of being at a track and you're in between races at Churchill. Oh, what are they doing at, you know, what's going on at Belmont? What's going on at, you know, at Gulfstream, whatever that might be that's running at the same time. Oh, and, yeah. you know, that in-game parlay kind of feels like that. I wonder if that was influenced at all by, you know, a guy sitting at the track deciding he can't wait 26 minutes or whatever. It is well, that's, that's part of it. So, yeah. how, about, how about Australia now? You could bet in race. Mm. Now the odds, yeah. you know, you're, you're laying a lot of money once you see, let's say, a speed horse go to the lead, and sure. and already was say two to one, and uh, and the uh, other horse that was supposed to go with him didn't go, and now you're pounding it at that point. Well, you're now looking at one to ten, that kind of thing. But there's still that opportunity. Still, it does now exist in Australia that you can bet in race, let alone between races at other tracks. So, I so, mean, so speaking of. I wanted to ask you about this actually, because you do a ton of a ton of watching of the Kentucky Derby future pools and of generally the 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 futures in general at the books in different places. You know, in the final Derby pool, all other three year olds goes off at I I forget what the number was this year, but it's it it, it literally like one to twenty something like that. Is it worth it? it I think it was actually two to five. Uh, because Corniche is in there. If you're talking oh, about, God, okay. you, you're talking about the uh, the Churchill Downs Paramutual actual church, right? Yeah. Is it yeah, worth it I, to wait seven months to get two to five? Mark Midland at Horse Racing Nation, my boss there. Yeah, I had him on the podcast about I don't know a month or well, it was it was Thanksgiving weekend. It was during that time that the first pool was going on in the in the KDFW Paramutual. And he made the case that it's a great bet to take all other three-year-olds because, and, and you don't want to do it now, if you're doing it for just $2 or something like that, no, it's not worth it. But if you're betting, say, 2000 then it absolutely is worth it because then if you start to do the math on this, that you're looking at, especially given the history of the wager, that you're getting 15 horses maybe in the starting gate at the Derby. And you're getting that price collectively. And so now you're looking at free money on the other side. How do you hedge against it? That means in order to guarantee yourself a profit, to bet the horses that are not covered by the all others, you're betting on maybe three or four, maybe five horses. And you're betting those horses. And maybe you take a stand with one or two of them. But now all of a sudden, you've got 17 in the field. And if you parked a lot of money on this, yeah, you have to wait around. Your money sits around. It's like making a an over-under win total bet on, on a baseball on team. A season, team. Right, yeah. right, season win totals. You have to, yeah. that money sits for a long time, but he made the case, and if you follow the math on it, he makes a very compelling case that that is one of the best bets you can make if you're loaded with some money and you're, you've got some cash, that that's a powerful bet to make in that first pool because history shows you're going to get 15 or more horses in the gate at the Derby because of how many horses among the other 20, well, it's 22 because you have Phillies and then all others. So you've got 22 others, and how many of them get to the gate? Maybe three or four, maybe. That's And that's the beauty of the all others bet. I was like you, though, oh, very yeah. skeptical until he explained it. Interesting. All right. Well, that's why we ask Ron Flatter the questions. Again, he is Ron Flatter, at Ron Flatter on Twitter. Find him over at Horse Racing Nation. Um, amongst all of the other things that I'm sure Ron will figure out to do in 2022. Um, so I, I, 
I've now this is my second year of doing these interviews. These were the um, third highest rated shows that we did. So uh, wow. every year, our Breeders Cup shows are number one. It's very interesting to me. But every year, for some reason, I think it's because you go all fall and people kind of start looking at football and college football and um, you know NBA and they look away from horse racing for a little while and then all of a sudden everyone realizes. It's an unbelievable two days of racing is about to happen and everyone migrates back. Um, but of course, after that, of course, is Derby. But these shows were hugely popular last year. Um, it caught me totally wow. off guard. And because um, it wasn't like I had, and no offense to the people that came on, you know, I had like, uh, actually, that's not fair. So I had like Dan Torgeman on last year and then um, Matt Dinnerman from Golden Gate and a uh, friend, of, friend of the show, Matt Rabotowski from US Bets came on. But, you know, I didn't think of, any of those conversations as being revolutionary or different. I had a lot of fun with Dan because Dan's an eclipse. So, you know, an eclipse voter and we went through his ballot and I asked him about steeplechase, you know, racing and all that. Huh. And, <laughs> and, um, the great, no <laughs> well, he said he actually, he calls around, he calls like two or three different yeah. people that he trusts yeah. about it. And that's how he votes actually. So he said, no, 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 they gave me a vote. I'm going to vote. And, you know, so I'm going to go get some, uh, Get some information about it. I think actually the longest conversation we had was about apprentice jockey last year. Which is well, that was that's an interesting point because, right. and I'm not alone in this. I don't vote for steeplechase horse, mm. and I don't vote for apprentice jockey. And I and okay. I'm not alone in that. I know I don't. It's not for me to say names of people, but I I would name people right now, and and everybody listening would nod their head and go, really? They don't vote. And and it's public. We make the yes. votes public as to how we vote. And they're made public right after the awards are are awarded. Uh, and so this became a Twitter debate. I'll give you a little inside baseball on this one here. Sure. This became a Twitter debate involving, well, you can look it up, Michelle Yu and Scott Hazelton. And they both okay. made points of that if you've got to vote, you should vote for everything or don't vote at all. It's your job to do the research. It's etc. and so forth. And I thought, okay. wait a minute. Yeah. My job is, first of all, my job is what Mark Midland at Horse Racing yes. Nation says my job is. <laughs> right. Or when last year when I was at VSIN. So it was what the Musburgers said my job is. It is not for the national turf riders and broadcasters to say what my job is. And I don't cover steeplechase. And I'm not following apprentice jockeys closely. Everything sure. else I feel comfortable in voting. And the case was made that, well, then do your homework. And I thought, okay, well, gee, I, I mean, are you, are you doing the same homework for a water commissioner and the judge in the Fourth Circuit when you're I voting? I was just going to say that. And, you know, yeah, I, I mean, come that. on. Yeah. Let's, let's not get carried away here. Well, and I said, and my thought was, well, if we're going to use the Kim Jong-un version of voting, <laughs> where you hear people say, where you end up hearing, well, if he votes, if you don't have a unanimous uh, vote for, let's say, Corniche for a two-year-old male. If anybody who doesn't for Corniche should have their vote taken away. Okay, right, thank right. you, Kim Jong-un. Right. Uh, I agree with you on that. But, but then, so here's the inside baseball part to make a long story. Endless. The turf riders have meetings every May and November in conjunction with the Derby and Breeders' Cup. And we had our meeting on Zoom again this year ahead of the Derby. And I actually made a motion. And I said it uh, because Michelle and Scott are members of the Turf Riders. Mm. And I made a motion and I said, I'm going to move something here that I will not second and I will not vote for. 
And that is, I'm going to move that anybody who has a vote for the Eclipse Awards, either you vote for all or you don't vote at all. And the motion did not even get a second. Interesting. And I will okay. tell you that I will tell you one of the two of them was on that Zoom call and chose okay. not to second the motion. So okay. it, it becomes this thing, you know, it, it's 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 an axe to grind. Yes. OK. If you if you feel personally that you should do homework to vote for the steeplechase horse of the year and the apprentice jockey of the year. Right. Fine. Right. Go sure. ahead. I have my reasons for not basically that they I'm not informed. I don't choose to be informed. I'm not paid to be informed about that. If you, however, in your mind, feel like you should be informed and you feel for yourself that you need to do the homework, fine. World's a big place. People vote in different ways. And uh, so anyway, that was that happened. And so, I've, you know, there you go. You got a little inside baseball and how the national turf writers and broadcasters and uh, work and how I, you know, I became the uh, fly in the ointment. So there you go. No, it's fine. And you mentioned like if you don't vote for blah blah blah, you shouldn't have a vote anymore. I, I and you, you and I wrote in the same spot in, in the LA Times in the old newsletter. I wrote that I actually I, I tried to make the case for Swiss Skydivers Horse of the Year because of her rare accomplishment of winning a classic race as a filly mm-hmm. and and beating authentic heads up, right? And, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't think look, I don't think it was I don't think a majority of people read it and went, yeah, he's right. I think a majority of people read it and went, no, he's wrong. But it doesn't mean that I didn't have a case and that I hadn't thought it through. And um, now, to be fair, I don't have a vote. Um, but, you know, I, I would absolutely have voted her one and authentic two that year. Um, I felt very strongly about that, actually. But, um, you know, you know, I totally agree with you that, you know, these people, you know, other than horses that I love, like if people don't vote for horses I love, then yeah, screw them. They can go away. Um, <laughs> you didn't well, vote for Matoli, get out of here. You didn't vote for Bricks Warner, get out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> it brings about the point. I, I saw uh, Ken Rudolph from TVG had a third place vote last year that he made public, and it was really off the beaten path. It was like an allowance winner of some sort or what. Yeah, and he made an interesting like- case. Yeah, he won like 11 I, races or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I thought, right. well, that's an interesting case. And I thought, well, this is why you bring more voters in. This is why you make fewer voters. This is why you bring more in to bring this sort of idea in. And I thought that was fine. And I and I didn't hear anyone crucifying him for that. And I thought it was an appropriate, I mean, it was appropriate because of how he stated it. If he'd have voted that horse, horse of the year, and he made a compelling case, fine. That's what makes the world go around. But anyway, yeah. I, you know, I mean, ultimately, when you win those trophies, it doesn't say whether you were unanimous or some somebody, no, you right. know, if some, you know, <laughs> Hub Arkish didn't vote for you because you didn't get a COVID test or something like that. You know, it just, that doesn't say that on the trophy. It's just hang, there on the mantle. That's Mariano Rivera was, uh, was unanimous and Babe Ruth was not. So there you go. And Babe Ruth um, was not, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. So let's actually do a little review of last year. Sure. Um, did you have a favorite, a favorite story last year? I think totally biasedly. I loved that. Uh, Cowboy George, George Leonard, uh, trainer up yeah. in India. I got, got a horse, uh, his, his little filly in, um, California, Angel. California, yeah. Carolina, California Angel, yeah. um, into the, into the Breeders' Cup. Uh, that was a cool story. I, I, what I really liked about it was that people got to see him. They got to know him and, um, you know, the, the sport really does. And I, I worry about the long-term viability of, of barns like his, you know? And so I'm, I'm hopeful. Oh yeah. I'm hopeful yeah. with, with innovations that are going on at places like Indiana Grand, where they're doing something that you've actually mentioned, like, Hey, has anyone thought about building, you know, uh, uh, what am I thinking of a dormitory for these guys to live in when they're traveling around and, and IG is actually doing that, right. That sort of thing. Right. So making it a more of a sustainable model for, for horse racing mm-hmm. going forward at a smaller place, 
place where a guy like George can, can really flourish. And, you know, they, they train in the winter now there as well. So the guys don't have to ship out and they can actually stay put. And so that's kind of nice, but yeah, uh, I, I thought that was I'll, kind of a fun, a fun story. Um, I think I'll give you, let me give you one other angle on that one too. And, oh, okay, great. and not the least of which is that George Leonard was the first American born African American trainer to be in the Breeders' Cup. And that's a shame. I mean, what, oh, I mean, come on, it's taken this long for that to happen. And when this, this sport is still trying to recover and I don't know how hard it's trying, but I hope it is from 120 years of uh, Jim Crow policies that basically wiped out black participation in the sport when in the 19th century, black jockeys oh, and trainers were dominant. Yep. Dominated. Well, totally. okay. So that story is there. And I you certainly address that on my podcast, but the other thing that's interesting too, Matt Stahl at horse racing nation did a story about small time trainers and how hard it is for them. Now there's an 8% drop during the COVID year. Yeah. In oh, the number God. of trainers who actually had at least one entry in this country, according to Equibase, 8% drop. Well, okay, so you could say that was COVID, but then he checked from 2021 and saw, thought, okay, was there a rebound? No, in fact, there was another 1% drop, which suggests this wasn't just COVID. We know that the labor laws are getting tighter now. There was certainly the enforcement sweep in New York that knocked, I mean, Kieran McLaughlin notably knocked out of the sport. He represents as a big-time trainer a lot of smaller trainers whose names you don't know. And so I think that is a worry. And you hope that guys like George can be able to sustain. You root for guys like him and small-time trainers. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid what you're afraid of, that this sport is on the way to just wiping the little guys out. And it's not just this sport. I mean, it's certainly you can look at business. You can look at bricks-and-mortar stores across America and mom-and-pop stores and all that sort of thing. Uh, the big footprint of corporate, uh, well, the corporate world, when you consider horse racing, is keeping the little guy who's just got a little farm and a couple horses and, uh, and a small stable from really being able to be viable. I'll give you an idea in a different sport. So they, they did an interview a few years ago at the McDonald's All-American game in high school basketball, and they asked the guys how much time they spend um, just playing like in their neighbor's driveways or at the park or whatever, and none of them had done that in high school. All of their time was right? super, all of their time was supervised on a, on an indoor court. And so, oh yeah, right. And, and I, and so to me, you know, and, and I don't know, uh, you're a soccer guy, right? I, I'm an, I'm a soccer event guy. I covered the world cup in 2010 right. in South Africa. So but yeah, you, I mean, so you I know understand, you understand at least the reason many of these other countries are great at soccer is because Kids just play it, right? They're just, you know, oh, all, all the neighborhood kids together. It's their sandlot sport, right? And so it's, it's right, but it's the but they have their academies sure, for, sure. for soccer but start, are like our our AAU teams kind of right. a thing. It's yeah, very start, well funded. Yeah. But to start, it's very much a sandlot sport. Right? And that's where I mean, even mm -hmm. when so I have family in Belgium and I lived in France for a little while, and like even wherever I lived, there were sandlot versions of soccer all over oh, the place. Sure. Right? And and we're if we're losing the sandlot aspect of basketball in this country. Whew. Like if we're just doing that to sports in general, like I think about, um, I've got a buddy locally here and I, and I ask him what he's up to and what his kids are up to. And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, my son's doing this and he's going to, he's going to hitting camp. And I'm like, Oh, so like, like you're throwing him balls in the backyard and he's sitting there. He's like, no, 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 no. It's in this warehouse. And he goes in and it's supervised and there's a bitch, a pitching machine and da da da. And I'm like, isn't he seven? Oh he's like, yeah, yeah, he's seven. Oh I'm like, my. Is it, isn't it November? Yeah, yeah, it's November. 
I'm like, dude, no, like, <laughs> no, that's like we're losing whatever that, whatever that, that, that natural playful way that you come to sports. Right. That, I remember, if, oh, I remember when I was in elementary school, Louis, I, there was a kid named Butch Leftwich who lived across the street from us. And I'm, I'm wanting to play basketball in May. Okay, sure. outdoor on the court in May. <laughs> well, everybody else plays. So I wanted to play basketball. And he's like, he just looked at me and he was like, he was one of the cool kids. And he looks at me and he goes, that's out of season. That's out of season. <laughs> right. And that was like the biggest right. insult you could do. You know, don't go, you're not playing football in March. You're not playing baseball in uh, <laughs> December or right. softball. Right. But yeah, you're right, though. If you, it's almost like pick a sport, be good at it, then be great at it, and then turn seven. You know, I mean, no, just, that's right. I am. Um, what's become now? Yeah, it's really sad because I remember even, you know, so I went to high school in the late 90s and I would use the fall to run cross country so that I was in game shape for ice hockey. Right. And then wow. after ice hockey, I would play baseball. Right. Yeah. But I would balance the sports the whole year. Right. right. Like one one's a cardio sport. One is a cardio slash you know, hand-eye coordination slash, you know, co- you know, contact sport. And then another is baseball, which is not a cardio sport, and then, um, but has a lot of hand-eye right. stuff. And, you know, but there was this balance mm-hmm. the whole year. And I felt like looking back now, at least, you know, you, you use all of the muscles in your body to do those different games. And they're, you know, they, they make your brain work different ways where you have to learn how to right. sort yeah. of figure out the timing of running a cross country trail. And then, you know, how long a power play is? Do I still have 10 seconds on the power play here without having to look up at the clock, that kind of thing. And, um, right. you know, and that carried over from running. And, and so I just, I hate the idea of my kid, my son's kid is a big kid at seven. So they're training him to be a catcher at seven. Oh my. Oh yeah. My. Right. Like, and, and I just, and anyways, I remember right, so. parents who would try <laughs> to get their kids to write left-handed to eat left-handed so that they could eventually throw left-handed throw, and thinking yeah. like, okay, you know, if I can get a multimillionaire left-handed arm pitcher here, then I'm set for my retirement kind of a thing. I've, I've known yeah. parents who tried to do that. I have absolutely no parents wow. who tried to wow. do that. Yeah. All right. So yeah. I, let's, uh, I, there's plenty of negative to talk about. So I want to talk about one more positive yeah. thing that I think both of you were, you and I were at, were you at the Preakness this year? Yes. Uh-huh. Great. I had so much freaking fun at the Preakness this year because you could just tell people in Maryland just wanted to do anything. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, True. Um, there's a there's a picture of me on Twitter if anyone wants to find it, me doing the horse racing happy hour on the roof because there was oh, so saw, much yes. media in um, from different. I, I I got bumped from my usual desk in the auxiliary press room, and I'm sure you've been in there that overlooks the stakes barn, um, deep within the depths of unrenovated Pimlico Racecourse that. Um, MSNBC took my desk um, to try to talk to Baffert, who didn't even show up. And so, um, oh, that was my well, that was my my new friend, uh, Steve Pornacki, the one who kicked you out. Was it? <laughs> Steve, I got kicked out by a Pornacki man. I grew up. With well, a bunch you know, Pornacki's now Pornacki's now the guy. You know, no, he's he, we've become friends here because of this Triple Crown season because he he picked Medina Spirit in the Derby. And now he's now he's part of NBC Sports all the time. Now. Oh, I have seen him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Withdrawn. The withdrawn. I, yeah, the khakis. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't hate him. So I ended up doing oh, the can't. show in McMullen's Pub, which is that that thing at the top of <gasps> yeah. the stairs. Yeah, oh, of yeah, course yeah. I know that. With yeah, my which back is, which the... because because they didn't cater it this year. <laughs> That's right. They did hand out free Heineken to their credit. Um, I, I've never had as much well Heineken done. as I did that weekend. But yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> um, and so, but I had I just had a lot of fun with the people. Um, on the ground because I, I didn't have a desk. I didn't have anywhere to sit. And so 
uh, I was there with, with one other person and we just kind of walked around and um, I don't, uh, Baltimore is a strange place because I don't think outside, once we were outside of the track that I was outside without hearing a police siren for more than about a minute. Mm. But I, I never feel unsafe and I always have a great time. It's such a strange juxtaposition of oh, I know. Yeah. what's going on in the neighborhoods and what my experience is when I go there. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it does. And, yeah. And so I, I, I look forward to the trip every year because the flight is so easy from here and the people are, are always very kind. No one in Baltimore knows that the race is going on. And, and then the actual track experience, which you've described as during the yeah. later races, um, I find to be delightful and I enjoy it very much. And I don't care uh, okay. that that's going on. It really doesn't bother me because I don't, no, I think I'm, I think I'm alone. I think I'm like Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> I'm the only guy who gripes about it. I'm just the guy who'll right. get off my lawn. Uh, I will say this about the Preakness this year, and I and I agree with you on everything you said about the Preakness, save maybe the infield concert. But as far as sure. the convenience of covering it and the people, yeah, right. and uh, oh, and the people in the press box. It. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, they're they're, they're and, super kind and like, oh yeah, I, I I'm a sucker for the handwritten scratches. Like, oh right, yeah, okay, you know right. that kind of stuff. You know, like that. But, but, yeah, but yeah. everything. <laughs> but the other thing is, you know, and then of course, normally, you know, this year wasn't the case, or, la- or I guess now, last year. But we didn't have crab cakes for the last couple of years, and so yeah, right, I yeah. missed those. And so I've been to probably I don't know thirteen or fourteen Preaknesses, but uh, this year's Preakness, I didn't have a generally pleasant experience because of Baffert Gate that was going on, and having sure. to to cover the swell of that. I mean, it. On a selfish basis, it delayed dinners. It it right, caused right. you know extra extra attention to that, and it was like I just want to cover the damn race. And so for that reason, the, the entire Triple Crown run for me was just a chore, especially starting May 9th when you know we're standing yep. outside the, in the rain in Baffert's barn, and he's making the announcement that just changed everything for the rest of the year. But if you're talking highlights for me. Because of all that, and because of my thirst for a moment that was going to finally galvanize a positive experience for me at the Triple Crown, other than the hotel where I stayed in Baltimore, which was fantastic, mm. what, was, what was great was the duel between Essential Quality and yep. Hot Rod Charlie to duke it out in the stretch at the end of a mile and a half race and yep. to throw down like it was a 15-round heavyweight fight <laughs> for me. Other than Forensic Fire trying to bite the face off Yalpon at the forego, <laughs> that which that was just comic relief. But on a pure race basis, damn it, the Belmont was as good as it gets, and that was like you know, thank you. What a great way to punctuate what was just a troublesome Triple Crown with a moment well, like that. That was fantastic. And we build it the way that it 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 worked out right. You on very un. It's, it seems to be more and more unusual that we're able to sort of predict pace and, and do those things at triple crown races. And then it happens, right. It, it, just, it, it happens. comes together. Right. And it comes together in the way that sort of, predicted. But, I mean, we were, I on, mean, we were on your show, what, two weeks before the Belmont, about I think? two weeks before the Belmont. Yeah. And, it was, yeah, and Megan yeah. just said, and Megan looked right at you and she goes, essential qualities built for the Belmont. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. And everything she said two weeks before the race happened, it was, cool. it was the just, one, it just, here's the one thing we didn't think hap would happen though. Hot Rod Charlie would eclipse Secretariat's fractions early in the race <laughs> and still hang on no, at the end. And have a that's chance. That's right. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. Now yeah, I think that horse on. has some second itis. Uh, I think he's, 
yeah, for showing sure. himself in like a, I would love to get like a Carrie Thomas on to talk about the herd mentality of a, yes, yes. Of, of hot rod Charlie, because, and for that matter, I'll, I'll give you another one is midnight bourbon. I think yeah, he's a horse that tends to have some second itis. I was just going to mention him because I, when he came out as the betting favorite against, um, oh my gosh, and the uh, Clark, um, Oh, oh, Ron, uh, help Maxfield. me out. Who, thank you. Maxfield. I just yeah. went, wait a second. I was going to bet this a certain way, but now I just get to bet Maxfield straight up. Really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> like, yeah, don't get it. Candy from a baby. No uh, kidding. And so, uh, yeah, there, second itis drives me nuts with horses because, yeah, in one sense, it does tend to brand them as bad bets, but at the same time, it brands them as bad horses. And I think that's wrong. I think sure. Hot Rod Charlie's a terrific horse totally that agree. he may not have the mentality to say, I'm going to get to that spot at the end of the race first. I don't know that that makes him a bad horse. I don't think it makes him a bad horse at all. It just is something you have to know about his personality and the characteristics of his racing form that that's how you bet accordingly and you do so. But I, I wouldn't insult the horse over that. If you're talking about, okay, well, you know, how many – are you going to make him horse of the year? No, <laughs> no. I mean, it's Nick's go. Uh, one other thought, you know, now that we're, we're talking a little bit, as you were mentioning the Eclipse Awards and we were earlier, mm. the interesting debate over three-year-old male. Uh, and for me, it, it was it was not even a blink. I thought essential quality all the way, but the case was made well. One horse beat Essential Quality and Hot Rod Charlie every time they met, and that was Medina Spirit. Right. And I thought, you know, I, I went I went Essential Quality, Life is Good, Medina Spirit. I, I, I know there are people who are going to protest, you know, they won't mention a Baffert horse. There's going to be a mass abstention in the two-year-old male because Corniche will win it. And maybe the same thing with female sprinter with uh, Gamine again. And, and there will be a protest abstention uh, because of the Baffert factor. I don't feel like I need to be penalizing a horse for the Baffert controversy. I'm not going to do that. And I did vote for Cornish and Gamine. But in the three-year-old male, the arguments that were made, I, it was like, well, look at them head-to-head. Right. And my problem is, well, it's not a head-to-head competition. It's division-wide. That's like saying, well, right. the Green Bay Packers lost to the New Orleans Saints in week one. So that shouldn't we make New Orleans then the top seed in the NFC? Well, no, right. <laughs> you know, it's not head to head. It's, it's division wide and essential quality. I just think had a better body of work and life is good was, you know, a, a, a twinkle of an eye from being undefeated uh, in, in his, you know, in shorter races and Medina spirit got my third place vote. I, and you could argue, okay, maybe Medina spirit second life is good third. But uh, it's interesting that you, the way the arguments are being framed, but then the whole thing of Baffert comes in, and I think uh, that muddies the water. And for some, they're just going to – the protest vote's going to be there. I think the protest is a waste of time. Ultimately, again, I come back to uh, the trophy doesn't have asterisks on it. And right. 20 years right. from now, who, do you, who was the best horse? So anyway, that's, that's, my, you know, that's my piece on the three-year-old male vote. All right, so you mentioned him, so let's just do it. Uh, Medina Spirit. Um, this has now become our, and our friend, John Sherwood wrote about this in the LA times the other day, right. With the removal of um, the, the head of the veterinary. Right. Jeff group, but, yep. And I, I think 
if you were just on the outside of horse racing and you went, wow, all of these people are connected. How can, yeah, it's always been this way. Right. And there are going to be people who get into positions that have had previous relationships with people. That's just horse racing. Isn't big enough that we can just avoid that altogether. It's not like we can go, I don't know, to Michigan and grab a couple of equine doctors from the Michigan state university, large animal, you know, program and bring them down here and run Kentucky's program. For example, it just doesn't work that way because it's not, it's not apples to apples. Right. And, um, but he gets removed. It looks bad from the outside. It smells bad for sure. Medina spirit, has a sudden death during training um, after it's shown that the beta methadone was probably applied from an ointment. I'll ask a first question since I just said all of those things. <laughs> Does it matter to you at all that it was an ointment or, and not an injection if that's true? Doesn't matter we to talked me. about this. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter to me, but it matters to the way the law is written and the code is written. And while you can get a legal argument over that, uh, I, don't, I don't see where how it was applied or how it was ingested matters right but there is a court case and i respect courts and 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 that's actually the so far what's been put in court has been adjudicated now we wait for the kentucky horse racing commission uh i keep you know hearing rumors of deals possibly being made and i i you know who knows maybe that's what's going on behind the scenes but yeah, it doesn't matter to me because it really doesn't matter to the way I've read the rule. There's nothing in there that says whether it's an, uh, you know, an ointment or an injection. But apparently, uh, Craig Robertson, Bob Baffert's attorney, has found something that says, well, no, there's an aha here we can go in on. And so legal minds greater than mine will make this decision and so be it. And, and that's, that's how, so it doesn't matter to me. How different is all of this if he doesn't do the media tour? I don't think it's different. I think people want to seize on that because part of it is, oh, he went on Fox News and you know pleaded the whole uh, cancel culture cancel thing. Culture. Like, yeah. eh, that, okay, bad move, misstep, etc. You know, this is why Bob's not doing much media right now, if any. And okay, yeah, maybe that's a bad look. I don't think it changes minds. I think the anti-horse racing folks are always going to be that way. The pro-Baffert folks are going to be that way. I tend to line up pro-Baffert more often than not. And so yep. uh, I feel like I'm, there's, a, there's an allegiance, and I, I'm pretty open about that. I hope I am, that, yeah, maybe you better take what I say with a grain of salt because of that. Uh, but that's that middle ground, that gray area. Now, are people going to seize on Baffert's politics and, cast dispersions because of that are others going to say oh we like him because of that it just gets muddied i don't think at the end of the day though that it really made a whole lot of difference i think a lot of minds were made up before he went on that uh, you know that media tour the first week after oh, okay. the positive was revealed no. yeah and with with the sudden death i i will um i will I, I, I imagine you're going to wait until you hear the outcome of the necropsy. Uh, the, necro, uh, the necropsy. However, what was the? I want you to be honest. What was the first thing that went through your head? I just. I mean, I'll tell you where it happened. I was uh, with Ed DeRosa and Mark Midland. We were going for you know our horse racing nation mini army to the uh, racing symposium in Tucson. We were on a connecting flight and we were boarding to go from Atlanta to Tucson. And I think Ed first got the note of it and he was texting us 
And Ed was on Twitter. Out. Yeah, what a shot! Right? <laughs> uh, and his line to me was, "Well, he, this this has got to be it for him, doesn't it?" And Ed often will speak oh. cryptically. It's like you better catch up with Ed because he's not going to wait for you. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, so that's what this is about. And I thought, oh god. And my role, I thought, oh no, oh no. Now, yeah. my first thought was. This is not Baffert's going to be dodging slings and arrows again, and there's going to be a dog pile. And there was. But how dumb would someone have to be to do something to a horse where it would then drop dead when you're already under a proctoscope scope of controversial examination? I mean, really? Are you going to tell me that Bob Baffert is that dumb? Your answer probably would have come before I even raised the question because you, and I mean the you of an audience, is predisposed to an opinion on this. So, again, it's the same thing. People have already made up their minds about this. If they thought Baffert was a cheater, now they think he's a murderer. If they thought Baffert was just a victim of circumstance, then they think he's a victim of circumstance. Ultimately, and I've already said this, and John Sherva said it on my podcast last month, People have already made up their minds about the result of the necropsy, and the necropsy right. is merely going to uh, be made to fit. Uh, so if it, if it comes back clean, yeah. the Baffert critics will say, well, he got away with it. If it comes back dirty, then the Baffert supporters will say, well, no, there was a witch hunt. And those opinions are already cast. I, I want to see what the necropsy says. I want to see how it was put together. I want to know who was putting it together but I don't think it's going to make a bit of difference in people's opinions, nor by the way, will when they finally get around to disqualifying the Dean spirit and elevating Mandaloon, I don't think that's going to change anybody's opinion either. And it's certainly not going to change anybody's bets. So, you know, no, that's right. I think, I think it, unfortunately, if we're in the moment, that moment's come and gone. And now it's, uh, you know, a horse, unfortunately has paid the price, uh, not necessarily for actions by Baffert, but just paid the price for being, on the track and something happened, but um, I was yeah, texting. I think with, are made up. I was texting with John the night of the ABR awards, um, the America's Best Racing Awards, and we had been we had made the finals of most popular podcast, right? And uh, yeah, we rub, it win. rub it in, yeah. rub it in, we did, rub it no, in, rub it in. I'm, I'm Susan Lucci here. I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> so we didn't. Yeah, people like me more than you, Ron. Yeah, that's right. So the, right. Um, <laughs> but no, the uh, not that there are two other. <laughs> way more likable people on my podcast but anyways the um uh <laughs> he we didn't win of course uh because you know pete and um you know and uh Jonathan. mr big hair yeah mr big hair um <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> well they're good they're good at what they do no that's right and they've and they've had the show for way longer they've got a much more solid following oh don't honestly. say they, they and, just go listen to this they're good i'm just like I, i'm happy for them all right but we'll, anyway. we'll, well i'm not so um the uh and so i was texting with john <laughs> i was texting with john that night and i said obviously this is rigged until we win and then it won't be rigged and that's exactly what the what right the, the crops is going to be right exactly right and, well and, you know it's Right. And so um, obviously I was kidding. I didn't expect to win. Um, I literally watched until the second award. We didn't win. And I turned it off and I thought, oh, yeah, right. They never contacted us before the award show. Why would yeah, that's I kind of that the, they would that's suddenly, kind of the tell. suddenly tell us that we won? Um, but yeah, uh, my, my way of media eclipse awards <laughs> didn't come in this week either. So yeah, nope, mine didn't either. So uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> That was Pete again, right? I mean, what are we doing? I mean, apparently I got to grow a beard. Anyway, I wear a hat all the time. Uh, the um, And so, 
so that that's uh that's that with uh, medina spirit may he rest in peace uh, it was just i just remember the the story hits and i just i put my hands my i put my face in my hands and i just thought can can we just can can worse things happen to something the only thing that i've the only sport i've discovered as an adult and fallen in love with I mean, I just, how long has this been going on? I look it up and the answer is forever. So um, it is. It is. is. Right. And, and, it, and, and, you know, it was interesting that it happened as the symposium was coming together with all of the right. racing icons in Tucson. And so, and here was the horse racing integrity and safety act being the primary point of discussion. And now here was the flashpoint, the poster child for it being Medina spirit. Yep. And now they, now they can't get a, an anti-doping agency to come in to regulate it. And I had no idea where it goes now. So anyway. <laughs> so, so All right. So I think the other, um, the other sad story that I think we need to address because it, you were there and I was there and you were very personally affected at the end of the day. Um, but we had a friend of friend of the show, uh, Rowan Ward, who was on with us and, and, They've been working at uh, Arlington for many years as a clocker and different things. And uh, they move on to doing a lot of Hawthorne things. Website for, for Rowan is uh, blinkersoff.com, blinkers-off.com. Uh, does great work up in Chicago. Hoping, actually. Did they start, to, did they, did they start doing that again? Because uh, no, there so was the a site's time. Not back, yeah, the site's not back up totally. But Rowan's doing a lot of good stuff about Hawthorne has actually really shifted attention over there. And I, I feel like if you were a follower of their work, you know, when they were covering uh, Arlington, you know, there's a good chance that you can jump in and with the, with, with stuff over at Hawthorne, but no, I don't think mm-hmm. that that Rowan has restarted the the whole website, but I'm maybe, maybe mentioning here, I really hope Rowan will jump on because I want to talk about Arlington um, for a year in review, because I think it's one of the three biggest stories of the year. I think the yeah. Medina spirit, unfortunately is the number one story all around. Um, and that number two was Arlington in the United States, at least. And, you and I were both there, different capacities. I popped up early in the day to the press box, and the the attitude was already one where I thought, you know what, this isn't how I want to spend the day. And now, was, I was, this, there, was this million day or on the closing day? Million day, million day. Okay, because I was there for both of those. Okay. Yes, you were. And we, we get it, Ron. You closed down the part, uh, the press box. I closed. I was the last uh, one. We get it. We get it. We get it. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, we get it. So. <laughs> Well, I was thrown. Well, I was thrown out the month earlier. So well, that was, <laughs> yeah, and and it sounds like, frankly, that was made right on the last day, which we can talk about. But just the closing of Arlington Park, it for me, for some reason, it felt bigger than recent ones like Calder. Um, I don't know why, and maybe it's just because I am totally biased toward the Midwest because I grew up in Michigan. But and and the Arlington Million as a race really was a total shift in how we did major stakes and major stakes days outside of places like Churchill Downs or Belmont or, you know, Pimlico, what have you, Santa Anita even. Is it the biggest closing since Hollywood Park? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Rank okay. Calder. I would not rank Calder up there. Absolutely is. And you could even make the case it's even a, a bigger closing because Hollywood Park, it was really the number two racetrack in L.A. behind sure. Santa Anita. Uh, Arlington was the number one racetrack in Chicago and always has been, always had. I mean, all right, Washington Park, you can make a case there. You make a case Sportsman's Park. But Arlington was there all that time. Uh, and, man, did I study the history of that place. Some of the history that you don't read about 
uh, in the media guide, some great stuff. I mean, a governor went to prison because of <laughs> a race date circumstance and a bribery because of Arlington Park. Uh, March Everett before, you know, by the way, I had a hand in Hollywood Park, too. So, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who had a hand in both tracks history. But, mm. yeah, the way that all went down. And I, I'll, let me tell you the funny thing that I noticed at the end of the year from all of that. And I went through the closing day. Closing day felt like the last day of summer vacation. Everybody was happy to be at the track, but everybody knew it was coming to an end. Yeah, okay. And it really felt like that that day. And it Almost was, like the last the last day of spring break as a senior in college where you know you're not going to get to do it again, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, yeah there's no more recess, kids. This is the last <laughs> of it. Enjoy it. It's going away. Right. And But the weird thing that hit me between the eyes, and I don't know how many other people would have noticed this, but I was looking up the stock price of Churchill Downs mm. Uh, mm. at the end of the year. And I was making a case in some other piece of writing about Churchill Downs and how it does business and the closing of racetracks, et cetera. And I looked at it and the Churchill Downs stock price was literally three times higher than it had been when a lot of this Sturm and Drang had begun, say, three, four years ago. It has soared. Yep. It has soared like crazy. And and against the tide of more modest gains, and I get it, the, the the stock market's at record highs and it's been going up in such a way for what, eight years now, but, uh, or more than that, when's, when was 2008? Anyway, well, however long it's been since it did that. <laughs> oh, wow, so, about, yeah. so about 13 years, it's just been a steady upward climb, even, even through COVID. Sure. So you look at, but Churchill's even gone rated faster than that. And I, that was yeah. sort of the aha moment for me, like for everybody who wants to protest it. And every one of us who says it's horrible that it happened, and that Mr. D, who turned 100 in October, outlived his racetrack. Churchill Downs stock soared. And yep. I, Bob Lee, remember Bob Lee at ESPN? Of course, yeah. Okay, so when I worked at ESPN, he and I were friends. And we, we worked on a few projects together. And he knew of my frustration with my role at ESPN. I would be gnashing my teeth. And he goes, Ron, you want to get even with management here? And I go, yeah. And he goes... <laughs> buy stock <laughs> and two better words of advice i could not have offered for anyone who has been having to deal with churchill downs and the closing of racetracks like hollywood park and calder and now arlington park buy stock it's it's a mercenary way of looking at it but that just hit me between the eyes and it reinforced for me what how the rubber meets the road and it gets back to what i said when we're talking about trainers the corporate world does have a big foot and the little guy well sadly doesn't have a chance it's no just, that's it's just the way it is and look i i'm a little tired of hearing people complain about racinos and what goes on at, at those different things uh, you know not to go back to indiana grand but i mean that's a great place to watch a horse race and they it put is. on a good product oh, oh my goodness and they have second best press box i've ever been in it's Del Mar. that's oh. right it's incredible and i mean they treat their people good and um you know if you're in media and you go up there they they, they take care of you um but just the fan experience they race something like 196 days a year or something i mean just insane wow. and 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 you know they you know they seeded a 50 grand and a pick five this year, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they're really, and then Santa Anita really recently just copied that and did it themselves. So they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, they put the drone in and did those things. 
they got a casino behind it. But by the way, if you went, you'd never know there's a casino there. It's so separate. And, That's true. There's, it's separate, right? but easy to get to. Yeah. yeah. So right. So I've I've done both. I've done the bet the horses, go hit the sports book, you know, thing. They're in different spots. Mr. D's son came out and and in a in a very pointed article pointed out that essentially Churchill Downs ten years before they closed Arlington said, hey, we need a license for both casinos and for horse tracks, and the Illinois State Legislature did nothing, and they just did nothing, and they did nothing, and they could have had both. They could have had casino revenue and they could have had horse racing revenue and they chose one. They chose casino revenue. And, and so it's, it is a, it is a more mired and um, more nuanced sort of issue than just casinos are easier to make money at, which is absolutely true. But um, closing Arlington park is way more nuanced than people want to admit. Um, It was very, it was very, surreal being there and watching the Mr. D and knowing that number one, it wasn't a million dollar race and number two, that that was never going to happen again. And I was there with five other people that I've gone to that race with in Chicago. I did the classic fly up land at, um, Oh gosh, at midway, take the train downtown, buddy picks me up, go to breakfast, go back to his place for a couple hours, handicap, get on the train, go up to Arlington park. He lives in Wrigleyville. Um, and, and just do the thing. And, and, it, it, I will miss that trip. Uh, it's one of the best 24 hour trips in horse racing. <laughs> oh, it is. And I, oh, I, so I have a dear friend who was one of my mentors early days in broadcasting going back to the mid seventies. And he's a prophet Northwestern. Uh, he runs oh, okay. the TV news department there at Medill yeah. and uh, Larry Stupnagel. And I would visit him and his wife, Betsy Urkula, who's uh, very high in the English department there. And, uh, so that, and it just became a, a pleasure to deal with them. And I've known their daughter her whole life. And so we, we really are close and it became a reason, you know, they raised on that for me it, it, to be at yes. Arlington was as much the race as it was to go see Larry and Betsy and Suley. And, and I am going to miss that because I mean, Chicago is a, just, you know, it's a top yeah. of town, but it's a wonderful yeah. place. And Arlington was the nicest racetrack physical plant of anywhere uh in the country and no i question. put it behind only flemington in the world and uh, so i'm yeah well, yeah i'm uh, going it, to miss that and it's i yeah. mean the racing has become horrible in recent years and the only sure. races to actually pay attention to really were that weekend you know, yeah. the, that weekend right. that day and you know and the world beat a path you know you'd see uh, Alistair awesome. Donald awesome. and uh, yep. and uh, was coming best. in from international racing. Appleby, yep, hundred percent, yep. Oh, it was just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Yep, it was no, great. getting to. I got to know the Aiden O'Brien camp largely through that trip. So, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. I'm going to miss that, but also just because it gave me an excuse, one more excuse to be in Chicago, which I, you know, I would seldom turn down. I love that city. And now horse racing, yeah. God bless Hawthorne, but you know, only 77 days a year now. I mean, right. Uh, God for bless, a city the size of Chicago, yeah, it's, it's not a lot. Yeah, the, um, I uh, since you mentioned your friends, I, I my buddy Scott is up in Chicago. He listens to the pod, so um, always stay with him. But uh, so I will, I will totally humble brag, which is something we do on the show. And if you are getting back into the show, our first show since uh, November, uh, you do have to drink because I'm about to humble brag. Uh, okay, Oaks Oaks Day, I'm walking through the the media bunker at Churchill Downs and. I see J.A. Adonde sitting on the wall by himself. No kidding. And, and I thought, huh, that's J.A. Adonde. And I walked past him. I'm like, you know what? I can't. And then I remembered. 
uh, because of the newsletter, he had followed me because I was a horse racing guy at the LA Times. No kidding. On, so we were mutually following each other on Twitter. So I walked up and, you know, and I, and this is the classic, um, you have the in, go talk to the pretty girl. Right. And, and so <laughs> I, I walked up to him and I said, I've Hey, Jay, <laughs> Jay, right. Exactly. Hey, J.A., Louis Rabot, we follow each other on Twitter. I do stuff for the horse race. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read your stuff about the Oaks. And I went, oh my God, here we go. No, you got to, you got to be more, you got to go, yeah, 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 yeah. I read stuff about the <laughs> and, and I literally, I just, I said, hey man, I just wanted to say hi. I just wanted to meet you. Welcome you to Louisville. And I said, do you, and I said, man, do you know your way around here or anything? Do you know like how to get out and actually watch the races? And he went, no. And I went, oh, okay, cool. Where you're sitting, you see those double doors right there? He goes, wait, wait, wait. Why don't we just go out there? And I said, well, of course. So we walked up. We spent five hours together on Upstate. Wow. And, and uh, I think you know this about me, Ron, but I am a, um, a devotee of linguistics and um, a speaker of, um, I could probably do the podcast in seven languages. And, and so with, with, with J.A., he's got this really interesting history. His mom is a, is a white woman from New York, and his dad is an African from, um, from Benin on the gold coast in Africa. Right. Okay, so uh-huh. right. next to Ghana and Togo and those sorts of mm-hmm. Burkina Faso. And because I've studied, Oh my gosh, this is so in the weeds. And I, anyone who's listened to the shows, like we get it the way um, <laughs> I've actually studied how, how languages were born in North America in slave contexts. I wrote a thesis on it. Actually. Okay. I knew, I knew his dad's, people his group his tribe right and um i was able to talk about that because i i once i had figured out his last name i was like oh yeah adande like i, I know exactly where they're from it's, was that togo or benin and he looked at me he's like they're from benin and then we just got talking and talking and talking his parents met in paris got married and settled in los angeles so i mean ja is one of these really really interesting guys and then um he i think one of the cooler moments of the year we're standing in the in section 322 and he, he lifts up his credential and he goes, this is the last credential on my bucket list. No kidding. Was the, was the Kentucky Derby credential. And I thought, how freaking cool is that? That J.A. Adande, of all people, who I've loved on television, I think he's a really insightful guy, really interesting oh, guy. He, and he's a talk to you guy, not a talk at you guy, which makes Boom. him that much better a broadcaster. Absolutely. Boom. Yeah, and yeah. what was awesome was, I, you know, Mike Gandalf was with me, co-host of the show, and he, and they are both, basketball encyclopedia nerd brains i mean just unbelievable and there and there's about a half hour moment where i stand back against the top wall and the two of them back and forth back and forth back and forth wow and and it was so cool to to just hang out with him a little bit about gambling he actually went down between every race to gamble which was fun. Like he was getting into the race, trying to actually figure it out. And I think he was playing, you know, five, 10 bucks race, whatever, but he had brought. So I don't know if people know he is um, either the advisor or the director of the graduate school of journalism at Northwestern where he went to school. And, um, and so he, um, he brought 13 graduate students with him for that trip. And so their annual big trip was supposed to be in January somewhere. And I forget what he said. Um, But because of COVID, they pushed it back to something, a little safer, but also outdoors. And, you know, they were able to get vaccinated by then and all those things. And, and so he had brought a group of 14 people from Chicago to go to the Derby. And he literally, he held up 
credential in front of me and he said, this was the last one on my bucket list, which I thought was awesome. That's fantastic. Now, here's the thing, and, and, and a toast to you for the humble brag, if I may. But <laughs> let me also add that you did not say anywhere in there the shameful thing that I would have done probably two minutes into the conversation in the five hours. So you want to do my podcast? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean, honestly, he would, well, he'd be great for this series, actually, for the year in review, just to talk about his experience of going down there. Yeah, you um, think? But uh, I have DM'd him a couple times on Twitter. I will totally admit to that. And he has always responded. He has been very polite and cordial to me, which is remarkable. But um, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. I, it's less about him and more about me. I mean, let's be honest, you know. Um, but uh, still, doesn't but surprise no. me. <laughs> there you go. But no, we had a we had a really nice time, and um, and so uh, I didn't get to catch up with him for the Mister D. But uh, you know, it's um, uh, one of those better moments for me for the year. So I, I had a great May. I hung out with him um, on Derby Day. Uh, Racing Rachel, Rachel McLaughlin from Indiana Grand was hosting in the uh, at the turf club or the jockey. I can't remember, but uh, she snuck me up to the fifth floor, um, Mm -hmm. free everything. uh, And I watched the Derby from the fifth floor right above. I mean, on the finish line. Um, And so that was the press box used to be. Correct. That's right. (laughs) That's right. I know it well. Yeah, I bet you do. (laughs) And, um, And then I wrote. Um, a piece about the Derby actually for the newsletter, um, how it was the largest attended event in the United States post COVID. Right, post COVID, right? Because it had it had eclipsed the Alabama spring football game by three thousand people. So, by three thousand, um, yeah, yeah. Once <laughs> once once Adam Silver decided to cancel all of sports, and by the way, did you? Did you uh, that was because of the Rudy Gobert positive, and then all of and he's positive again. <laughs> he's positive again. Did you see? Did you see this? <laughs> someone discovered. He tests positive March 10th of last or two years ago. Yep. Uh, everything is shut down. He tests positive in the middle of Omicron. Do you know how many days apart it was? 666. Nailed it. You did see it. <laughs> I didn't see it. No, but I. I no, 606 because no, no. you did the math, but it was a 600. That's great. 666. I mean, as Don King used <sighs> to say, only in America. Only, America. Mean, That's right. only in America. <laughs> Oh man, I oh, put on Twitter. Crazy was that? I put on Twitter the 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 meme of uh, or the gif, of, I should say, of of the Simpsons Halloween special where the arm comes out of the ground um, in the graveyard with Billy the Kid, and I was like, COVID in twenty twenty two with Rudy Gobert, you know, just oh, <laughs> back God, to I the know. dead. There it is. As, as Joe it. Buck says, you know, what's it going to be like when we get to COVID thirty? <laughs> so I wanted to, to ask that. you. I wanted to ask you because we have talked before about. Um, let race callers call races. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to suggest something a little out of the box now that Fox has acquired the rights to the Belmont. Right. Oh, yeah. You, yeah this, this, I've heard this discussion over and over and over again. Just have Gus call in the uh, Belmont. I mean, could you imagine if you I'm know, sorry? If, so I mean this, yes. Here, here's the deal. And here's, and here's, I actually think it's viable. And here's why. I remember they had Gus Johnson do soccer when Fox picked up a bunch of soccer. Right. And, they were and I remember the guy. Yeah. And I remembered thinking he's going to be terrible. Not because he's a bad announcer. He's not a professional man. That, he's so cut for college football. He's so cut for college basketball. Like he's great at those. His reactions fit those sports perfectly because how we are fans of college sports 
is so different than how we're fans of a horse race, right? <sighs> All right, man. And, and that, look, I, I don't want to get into a grand thing about which race callers we like and which ones we don't and blah, 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 blah. Oh, I know. And I, you know, I, uh, Mark Midland's uh, been trying to get me to do a piece on that for horse racing nation. And I'm like, that's like an abortion argument. You're not going to change people's no, that's minds. Right. It's just, I, it, I, I don't want to do it, but, but he wants, a, we may yet do perfect. it, but anyway. Uh, great. Bring me in for that one. Just so people can get mad at me. The, <laughs> So, like, you know, we have Travis Stone at Churchill Downs. I, I have no complaints about Travis Stone at Churchill Downs. I, like I think him. he does. I like him. He does a he does a very good job. You know exactly. You you could turn around from a race and know exactly what's going on in the race. Is he formulaic? Does he have his thing? Of course he does. He's an announcer. I enjoy that about him. There, are, I, but I also love the guy at Assiniboia Downs. Like, I love that he's way over the top. That he kind of screams at you when you're going. And I think Gus Johnson. Could be a professional version of a Cinnaboy Downs. I've, you know, I've come around on a lot of things with announcers. I used to, I didn't like Gus at first, but then I started oh, to okay. listen to him and not at yes. him because it's as much somebody talking to you and not at you. Right. It also applies to listening. And I started <laughs> to listen to what people were saying who are younger than I am. And I thought, right. all right, let me try right. and catch this. Now, I love him and Akeem Tlaib on games. I think they just are fantastic. I like Akeem Tlaib, too, actually. I was watching They him. are fantastic. I saw, I've heard Akeem Tlaib work with other announcers, too. I think he's very, very good. I think, But, Gus, I'm just thinking, like, can you, can you imagine? I run, Charlie, not going away. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. He's oh, so. Well, what's funny is <laughs> he's going to need – He's gonna need the half hour between races just to get his breath, right? Because he's gonna mur- yeah. he's going to have well, a heart attack every race, right? But it's gonna yeah, be but, awesome. But I mean, like- you could say that about the NCAA <laughs> tournament. But here's the thing now. But here's yeah. why I think it's not a crazy idea. Sure. Because think about how events are done now. Yes. If the multiple channels, so you could put a uh, okay. call on, on FS1 a or channel something. and leave right. Larry Colmus or whomever, or uh, I guess it would be Johnny, right? John Embriali. John Embriali. Uh, uh, on the on another channel, and maybe is there a? I've thought about this too. Is there a Manning cast out there waiting to happen in horse racing? I mean, and there to is. A certain it's called, extent, it's called it's the Horse Racing Happy Hour. But I mean, keep going. Yeah, well, keep going. The, I was no, I was going to say that very thing. It was going to be that or right. what you see, like I, you know, Ed DeRosa and uh, Sarah Elbawi, who just came aboard with us. Yeah, yeah, doing she's the, great. They're doing that 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 webcast that goes along with certain yeah. tracks on Thursday night. That's a companion. You can use that as a second screen because yeah. why it's the old thing. Why do track feeds give up that 10 minutes before when they just shut down and don't give you anything right. after they've done the preview of the race? Why aren't they filling that time? Which is why I think what Fox does with, with Serling and with uh, uh, MIG and that team uh, that, you know, and, and Maggie, that's a good, that's a good telecast. That's a really good telecast. Um, so, but along those lines, so are there brothers out there now? The obvious thing, okay, you go Ortiz brothers. Well, I don't think they're available. Right. Uh, They got to work. Somebody (laughs) said to me, how about the service brothers? One of them. I don't think you go that direction. (laughs) Do you go the DeSormo brothers? You know? Okay. Do you go, uh, which by the way, reminds me, have you seen the movie jockey? I will bookmark that for a moment, but anyway, but, uh, (laughs) But are there, is there a brother tandem out there? Is there a sister tandem out there? But there is something that I think that could be pursued, even if you're not copying the Manning cast. Racing could do something like that on the big day. Why couldn't Fox and FS1 have 
Gus on one channel and have something like the Manning cast with him and you do the conventional version on another channel. I think you could do something and, and make this sport grow. Why not? Why not? And by the way, they're, they're, they are, this is amongst the more gamble-esque pickups of any sports package that I can remember because you're gambling on a triple crown threat, right? Like mm-hmm. you're like th- that there would be a contender. There are going to be lots of years that there isn't that, right? So you're going right. to need to draw eyes to it. I think someone like Gus Johnson actually could be really, really terrific for it. Um, I, no, I, but if I'll you give me one like, other point, but I'll give you one other point sure. on that, Louis. If you look over the history of how the horse racing triple crown contracts have morphed, the Belmont Stakes has always been the canary in the coal mine. It's always the first one oh. to flip because of the way the cow, their cow contracts work. So when CBS gave it up, ABC had the Belmont, CBS had the other two, and then ABC had all of them. And then it was NBC first got the Belmont and then got the other. Okay. So it's, right. it's okay. always right. worked that way. Yeah. All right. I need to hear Gus Johnson call the Kentucky Derby is what you're telling me. Okay. Yes. Let's go. I mean, yes. let's, I mean, yes. let's, go. I mean, it's not even. I want none, that to be available. Um, <laughs> I want it to be available. And I, I can come back and say, I hate it or love it or whatever. I just want it to be there but the idea, because a lot of people will love it. I agree. A lot yeah. of people will love it. Period. That's the point. And, Wouldn't it be great uh, if we fight, if like, Gus Gus drops out of working for Fox to become like the track announcer at like Emerald Downs or something. Can I give you a true story along those lines? That oh, it sure, happened yeah. in hockey. You remember oh. Scott Farrell? Farrell yeah, on the bench? of course. Yeah. He was the original voice of the Atlanta Thrashers, who are now the Winnipeg Jets. Yes, right. And he was the he first year. Yeah, there's a dumping pass. He was the original <laughs> play-by-play guy for the Atlanta Thrashers, because if you re- remember his old, his original overnight show, he talked hockey a lot, you know, like pouring yeah. the Stromboli here at the Clevelanders. <laughs> he talked hockey a lot. And yep. uh, so they went, got him for the very reason we're talking about with Gus Scott, I think got fed up with doing it more than the Thrashers did, or maybe the Thrashers did. And he went back to talk radio, Sure, but that it has happened it's like well hey you know why just get him for the one thing let's have him call a full season so there is precedent for this play-by-play life is very different than radio life for sure so i, I could see wanting one but, commi- but it's a commitment to more than one date but that's what i'm going with that and, and you yeah, know no, so you, you tried it they tried it i, I appreciate yeah. people trying stuff like by the way all of this to say one of my favorite videos to go find every year is is the monday or tuesday after derby the, the video of the Derby focused in on Travis Stone calling it. And All right, just, yeah. And he gets done, and there's usually, there's usually some kind of just you can see the med, just the, the, <laughs> the, the not so visible but obvious 700-pound weight come off his shoulders. That's right, that's right. And it's so I don't cool have to do to this watch. again for 364 no, days. Yeah. Right, watching someone <laughs> where you take the job because of – amongst other things, but that is a huge reason as you call the derby every year. And then it comes and you're like, oh crap, I actually got to do this. And then the end of it, when you've actually done it and it's done, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, I'm in sales for a living and and there's nothing, there's nothing like nailing a sale, right? There's nothing like you're in front of, you know, 40 people, you nail the sale, feels great. You get done, but there is a, there is a 12 hour period after that where you are just limp. I mean, just you can't move. You're just exhausted because you've got you built up so much, so much for that. And, and so I can only imagine calling a freaking Kentucky Derby. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot like when you finish the horse racing happy hour. 
<laughs> and you and Mike and Megan are throwing out the empties and you think, oh, like, oh, you know, knowing that, you know, we, we are I am that way. The fuel for the hangover is now uh, <laughs> is in place. And absolutely. I think that's the comparisons are apt and are going to uh, be reflected for years to come. They will never be forgotten. I am way more intoxicated after the horse racing happy hour than I am after sales meetings, but um, that's neither here nor there. Um, anything else we should cover today? Uh, Mr. Ron Flatter at Ron Flatter on Twitter. Find him on Horse Racing Nation. And and, and the Ron Flatter Racing Pod every Friday. And, and oh. uh, yeah, I will say, yes, it's, uh, uh, we moved from VSIN <laughs> to Horse Racing Nation so far. If you subscribed before, it's still, you're still getting it. All one episode so far that has dropped under the new framework so far. So good. Uh, good. I will say that the flipping the switch has not been as easy as uh, it was made out to me to be. Uh, there's been more red tape on this than, than you can imagine, you know, than the January 6th committee has to deal with. But it's just, <laughs> it's a lot. But uh, so far, so good. So that that continues apace. And I would say I'm, I'm looking forward to, now that uh, this will be my first full year, we'll end in Louisville in April. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm going to go through my first winter. And, I, and look, I adore snow. I'm, I'm the idiot on the planet who loves <laughs> snow. And I'm walking this little dog out and this little dog yeah, yeah. is loving the snow. And so I'm loving it and uh, glad to be back in it for the first time in really five years. So uh, because I lived in New York for so long and before that, New England. But right. uh, so I'm looking forward to visiting. I've been to fairgrounds once. I want to I'm looking forward to getting back down there. Uh, in fact, I was just swapping texts with someone down. Well, uh, I can say who it was with Michael Paychuk. Yeah. And, and I okay. and yeah. I, yeah. So we were swapping texts about, you know, he's going to be at NHC and I'm looking forward to going to that this month, assuming it still happens. And so far it's still happening. Yeah. Uh, but I want to get down to the risen star because that's the first win yeah. you're in for the Derby and it's an excuse to be there. Yep. Uh, and so we were kind of swapping notes about how, you know, what can we put together? I want to get down there. I want to get back to Oaklawn. I went there when we were moving, I did go to the apple blossom. Right. I saw Latruska, the real arrival of Latruska was that really was that yep. race. Yep. And so I got to be there for that. Just to have Was that the best race the last year? Was it the best race? Could have been. Right? It could have been. Had yeah. Swiss Skydiver not faded, I think That's it fair. could have been. Yeah, I still think horses, the Belmont. Yeah. yeah, I'd still go with the Belmont. Okay. And just and the forego just for you know comic yeah. relief. But yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, and uh and 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 look and i'm so i'm looking forward to that and we haven't really talked about flight line and i voted for flight line for male sprinter despite the fact you're only talking about three races and never out yeah. of uh and did and the graded stakes win was not against uh older horses but geez you know that just uh, the eye test says that was the best sprinter i've seen god maybe ever but at least certainly during the year uh i'm looking forward to seeing what happens with flight line? John Sadler has already committed him to the Met Mile. So that immediately makes the undercard of the Belmont just sizzle. And, oh, yeah. uh, and then, you know, Breeders' Cup Classic, they said, you know, that they're, they're pointing him to that. And when John says this is the best prospect I've ever had, and I'm thinking, like, he had Accelerate. Right. <laughs> you know, he had Catalina right. Cruiser. Okay, right. that's sense. Yep. And, boy, he's lived up to it. So, so you, you've I'm mentioned a couple things here. Too. All right, so obviously this is an ending. <laughs> Nick's go. Was that your, your <laughs> hey, hang on a second? Hey, Clemmy, we'll go walking here in about a half hour. I just, <laughs> just have to tell the guy. Nick's go, horse year. 
Nick's go is horse of the year. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's not not a question. I mean, it is have we seen a better classic run than than him? Sub two minute mile and a quarter against a very, I think, above average classic field. Actually, um, we're in an individual I mean, race. Wow. In terms of just the raw result, uh, if you're going to analytics it. Um, I mean, sub two minute classic distances. Is, is, yeah, I know. I know. With the way he runs is remarkable, right? I mean, I know. That, that was, that's the it thing. Was, and, it was amazing. And it was like you said, he didn't, he wasn't beating chopped liver. Um, wow. That's a, I have to think about that. I, I am not prepared to answer that. If you're talking in the moment, for me, Blame Zenyatta was still yep. as eventful as it ever got. Still eventful, the best, yes. The best eventful, second yes. place finish I've ever seen by a horse. <laughs> this, this side of Easygoer, but the, uh, and maybe Aladar, but certainly right. modern era that I've seen in person, best second place finish I ever saw was Zenyatta in that classic. That the was the best. Awesome. Yep. And as far as eventful, just period, period. Well, if, you know, Pharaoh completing the year with that win at Keeneland. In 15, I would go there. There was one. What was the one at Santa Anita that was so close? Was that Chrome or, or there was? Yeah, uh, one of the Chrome ones was, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there were a couple of Santa. I remember standing with Steve Haskin. We looked at each other and we didn't know mm. who won the race. And we were at the finish. <laughs> yeah, right. That was pretty good. That would be a pretty good race. But in terms yeah. of actually a performance and you're grading the performance, you may be on to something there. I'd have to kind of, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, just and obviously perfect conditions and all those things aside, I just, Anytime a horse does the class, I'm, I'm a nerd about this, but just the classic distance sub two minutes and the fact that he runs the way he does. Literally, I think he does that if there's no other horses in the race. Yeah, right? Dominic, he's just by Dom- himself. I mean, just, oh, yeah, no, pack. I agree. I agree. Where we were talking about Hot Rod Charlie maybe being in that pack mentality, essential quality doesn't give a damn about the pack. But, <laughs> yeah, no, no question right. about that. Right. Very and different Nick's personalities. Is, is, yeah, yeah, and Nick's go is just I, like, pardon oh, me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nick's go. I, I, no, I, I was you're confusing good. My... But, but no, but Nick's go just, no, I'm going to be out front. That's what I'm going to do. Like, you know, I'm not interested in second place here. So, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> really good stuff. I am. Um, all right, Ron. Um, let me see what the timer says. I think we're at an hour and 20 minutes, which is uh, y- the usual length of the happy hour, which is good. So, is it um, now? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> you get more happy for your hour. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's exactly. how it works. Or as John Sherva calls it, uh, the the Russian novel of happy hours is what our show. Oh, is, he so. made he, 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 he <laughs> as we were building the Breeders' Cup. My podcast reading longer and longer and longer. And under the old sure. deal we had uh, with iHeart, they kept dropping more spots in it, more spots in it, more sure, spots in it. Sure. Got to the point where it was like, yeah, we'll interrupt this uh, commercial so we can bring you this podcast. <laughs> and so it got longer and longer. So he wrote that long piece on Baffert. <laughs> and I, I called him up and I said, how many words was this? Good Lord, John, it took forever. And he didn't miss a beat. And he goes, yeah, but it still took you less time than it took me to listen to one of your podcasts. <laughs> like, thanks, John. Oh, the last angry man. Oh, we love him so much. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, he uh, is Ron Flatter at Ron Flatter on Twitter. Find him in Horse Racing Nation. Uh, Ron, really appreciate it. I had a great time. Um, and I am sure I will see you sooner than later now that we are neighbors. And um, my best to you, your family, 2022. Back at you. Uh, and uh, say hello to Mike and the Megan for me, please. Will do. All right. Thanks, folks. We'll see you soon here on the Horse Racing Happy Hour.